There are 63 days, that's nine weeks, uh, until the 2022 midterm elections. Uh, I'm Mary Trump, insane middle-aged white woman. Uh, welcome to this episode of the Mary Trump Show Strategy Sessions with uh, my nerd adventures, uh, some of whom are yet to come, but uh, Jen Tov, Dahlia Lithwick, Danielle Moody, Cliff Schechter. Um, okay, so... What, really, the only news. Uh, let's leave. Let's leave the special master issue aside for later. Uh, really, the only news we heard, other than than the kinds of documents that uh, were found, which is kind of mind blowing, disturbing, is that uh, Donald continues to suffer absolutely no consequences <laughs> for his insurrection, for his espionage, for his treason. But is this even news anymore? I don't think so. Um, so you know, we will touch on all of that later. However. Um, as much as it's important for people to understand what's going on and to stay, you know, to stay in touch with it, not that it's going anywhere. Um, it's also dangerous, though, when when the onslaught of this kind of news, uh, you know, the focus on Donald's delay tactics, uh, his incitement, uh, keep keep us from focusing on other extremely important issues because it's all of a piece, right? And the more we can point out the various moving parts, the better. So today we're going to start with two extraordinarily important, significant stories uh, that have failed to get enough attention. Uh, we're talking about the climate catastrophes uh, that have caused the flooding in Pakistan and the fact that because of the corruption of the white establishment in general, and Mississippi Republicans and corporate malfeasance in particular, Jackson, Mississippi, the state's capital, uh, a city with a population of 150,000 people, does not have safe drinking water and may not for the foreseeable future. Uh, you know, Danielle, I've been, um, I've obviously I heard about both of these things um, and uh, the importance of them cannot be overstated. And yet, there's nothing. There's no news. You look at the front page of the major news uh, papers in this country, and it is nowhere to be seen. Maybe it's above the fold here or there, but generally speaking, this the both of these stories have fallen off the radar. And uh, you know, I, I I'm going to focus for a second on on Jackson. Um, I think one of the reasons. Well, okay, no, the reason both of these things. Uh, happens is because uh they involve people of color <laughs> so let's start there with the most obvious thing but in terms of the kind of uh environmental terrorism uh we're talking about and that's what it is yes it's environmental racism but it's also environmental terrorism uh this has been going on in this country forever but in the modern time certainly dating back to uh the implementation of the highway system uh, so this isn't new and yet uh, it's, it's dismissed as if it isn't a big deal and that it's, it's like not part of the fabric of uh, this country's recent history. Yeah, I, you know, I, I appreciate you using the term environmental terrorism because I don't think that it is um, a conversation. It's a term that we use often in this country because I think that what we've been conditioned to believe is that black and brown people just should always have 
um, a terrible lot in life and it is of their own making. If you just worked hard enough, if you just pulled yourself up from your bootstraps enough, then you would have a, a better environment to live in. You would be in a better house. You'd be in a better community. Um, and so what we do in this country is blame the infrastructure of poverty on those that are poor, as opposed to the systems that have created the environment for poverty to thrive. And, you know, what I find really troubling is that, you know, many, many years ago, I had started uh, my career as an educator and then kind of moved into environmental education, actually, and moved into, you know, working as a, as a, as a policy uh, person then then as a lobbyist at the National Wildlife Federation. And I remember being in these spaces and, you know, again, National Wildlife Federation was focusing on wildlife, right? They are focusing on the trees and what we think about when we think about environment. And what I wanted to infuse in, and this was, you know, 100 years ago, was this idea that the environment is not a place that you go to, it's where you are, right? It's what we exist in. And, you know, the this, this understanding that, you know, there we place highways and homes and in spaces and places where you wouldn't place most animals in mm -hmm. this country, where you have white people that get up in arms about the mistreatment of dogs and cats and, you know, and, and, and domestic animals in a way that we're talking about abuse. But when we're talking about children and people of color, we just manage to look the other way. Because again, we say that where you are in your station in life is your problem. Um, and that goes back to education. It's the fact that we don't educate people in this country to understand that this has been a pattern in our history, right? Of mistreatment, ill treatment and terrorism to those that we don't see as human, that we don't see as deserving. This country has had you know, I, I, I can't express the ways in which we have just devastated and obliterated black communities. And we just continue to go on, right? As if that is, that is the norm, right? We, and so for me, when I look at the fact that people in Jackson, just like people in Flint are still paying water bills, still paying for fucking water bills, that they literally have poison coming out of their taps. You have, there are quote unquote boiling orders in so many black and brown cities right now in this country. And there's just a couple of those that have made news for a hot minute. But the fact is, is that we think that this shit is normal. This is not a developing nation. We love to say that America is the wealthiest nation ever, right? And yet you have whole cities that don't have water. So tell me like about wealth distribution. Tell me what that looks like. How we have, you know, I thought about it this morning. I said, you know, when we see these horrible wildfires that are happening in California, you see calls from the president of the United States, from members of Congress, you know, that, that are calling for volunteers from other fire departments to come in, to link up with California and help put out this fire. And you see this outpouring of empathy. Where the fuck is the call for the engineers, right? Where are the calls for the engineers in these places? And, and, and you know, I... I I'm not someone that uh, where where are the calls for the steel workers for the for the for these union workers for for plumbing associations for urban planners where is the where where is the emergency here right because I tell you that we know that if this were happening it wouldn't be happening in white communities but if it was we would be changing our fucking Facebook and Instagram and TikTok you know avatars to the flags of that state. Because just to show our empathy, there'd be an outpouring, a GoFundMe, 
right? That is in the tens of millions of dollars, if that were the case. And so I ask, why the fuck does this country who has destroyed black and brown community and black and brown people have no, empathy, have no care? And if that's not terrorism, I don't know what is. Yeah, uh, we talk about stochastic terrorism all the time as it's uh, linked to the kinds of tactics that that uh, are on the rise on the right, uh, especially from people like Donald. Um, but <laughs> this is something that is is deeper and and more uh, far reaching in some ways. And, uh, you know, two things that you said, Danielle, that I'm, I'm glad you mentioned um, one is is the historical context and two is something that escapes my mind but i did want to say that uh, for somebody who's over 100 you look great um so <laughs> um you know and i think it's it's because it's so it's like with everything else you know it's it's so normalized that oh well you know another majority black city doesn't have water that happens um, and yet we don't, because we don't know, most of us anyway, don't know the history. Uh, there isn't a sense of urgency that there should be. I mean, it's literally in our, our infrastructure. Uh, you know, the highway system, as you mentioned, destroyed black and brown communities. And not only that, it, it placed uh, the remainders of those communities in, in areas where there are high concentrate concentrates of poisonous particulate matter from exhaust fumes and some like in say something like 28 percent of uh black americans live like within a mile of a superfund site you know so yeah and and other things like that that um are uh, in some ways maybe less harmful but socially have have the same kinds of impact uh you know robert moses is a guy who basically built new york city and he was his biographer said that he was the most racist evil person he's ever met robert moses um who designed what we call the grand central parkway out here it was yeah. it's one of the roads that that you can go from the city out to long island where the beaches are he built the bridges so low so that public transportation buses couldn't fit under them. <laughs> and back in the 40s and 50s, like that's how black people got to the beaches. Hey, Mary, so for yeah. folks, I just want to say quickly, because uh, I, I, I felt that might be where you were headed. Robert Caro, mm -hmm. uh, the power broker, right. literally one of the best books I've ever read. Mm -hmm. People ever want to understand how racism was built into our highway system, as Mary was just saying. So make sure that the certain playgrounds would remain white only, certain beaches would remain white only, exactly that, because a lot of people of color could not afford cars, right. and they put the bridges down too low. I just want to jump in with that, because it's an incredible book, and you will learn all. Yeah, and and I I grew up in Queens, and and uh, I recently moved from Long Island back into the city. Um, the bridges are still there, uh, so you know that just again, it's just in the fabric of things. So, but you know, Mary, mm -hmm. I just want to say something real quick because you know the important thing too is that you will hear people that will say, "Well, we needed highways, right? We need bridges. We needed these things." And I and my response to that is, "Of course you do. That was that was part of like the industrial revolution." But the purposeful nature, right? What yep. you're mentioning about the book and what Cliff just jumped in and said, it was purposeful. 
in how the planning was done to make sure that black and brown people would suffer. So if you are building, right, if we're, if we're talking about creating highways and bridges and tunnels, and we were actually doing it in an equitable fashion, right, we wouldn't have the issues and the situations that we're dealing with today. But mm -hmm. what we continue to do here is just lie. Right. It's just say like, oh, it was necessary. Just like you have sitting members of the Senate that say slavery was necessary. Right. It was necessary well, to rape <laughs> and beat and torture and dehumanize, yeah. you know, uh, an entire community of people for 400 plus years. Because That's other right. than that, we wouldn't have had America. That's right. right. To which so, I say, if your economic model uh, requires the enslavement of entire race of people, then maybe you should be poor. And um, the genocide of another one. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, so so these things function in two ways to to keep the black population from prospering, but also to keep it separate. And uh, Jen, one of the things that is not being spoken about uh, in terms of this Mississippi issue is uh, that, first of all, this is a problem we've known about or Mississippi and the powers that be there have known about for a long time. And um you know, what I find fascinating is, as Danielle said, they're not just blaming it on poor black people. They're blaming it on middle class black people who left Jackson because the government, I guess, wasn't doing anything to make it a city that uh, people would choose to live in, I guess. Um, but the truth of the matter is we can leave the blame squarely at the feet of, yes, the Republican dominated government, but also um, Siemens, which is a corporation that basically scammed Jackson, the you know political leaders of Jackson, Mississippi, into updating its water meter system at the cost something like ninety four million dollars, and this is not a big city. That's a lot of fucking money, and it did shockingly. Uh, the system didn't work. In fact, it did the opposite. It it made revenue go down. So in addition to being strapped with the, the principal and interest on that enormous sum of money, they also weren't bringing in the money they needed for upkeep. So, you know, these these pipes never got switched out. And uh, you know, the city's in an enormous amount of debt. And yet, um, according to Jug Legum, I think Siemens... Uh, got a, something like a $17 billion in profit last year. Uh, you know, let's solve the problem by just, you know, making Siemens pay for <laughs> everything, but that's not going to happen. So it's just another in a long line of stories about how in this particular instance, um, at least in, on the local level, the right and corporations are in it together. But I do not want to discount what Danielle said, which is also correct, that the federal government, no matter whose hands it is, seems incapable or uninterested in coming to the rescue when it's poor communities of color who are suffering. Yeah, I mean, as you know, I grew up in the Detroit area and I see what has and continues to happen to Flint and similar situation happening um happening right right there in jackson and you know th there's there are these long histories and you've gone back for the new york area to the robert moses story but there's a different story in flint right and there's a different specific story in jackson but as you weave in this idea of corporate profits and predation 
and you and you layer onto it the public's racism and looking the other way and the failure to really intervene at a federal level where that's where the money is, you know, it's disappointing. And, you know, it seems like, you know, we had, we do have a very knowledgeable transportation secretary. He got lambasted for talking about Robert Moses. Um, I'd like to see him not just talk in an eloquent way, but find some money yeah. for Jackson, because yeah. I do think, I'm not naming, you know, names here, but I do think he's he's really smart. Um, and, you know, it, you need to get to open the purse strings and get the federal money in there because the state is not going to do it. And to me, it is a human right, but also deprivation of civil rights not to have clean water. I mean, there's got to be a case someone could bring at the federal level and an injunction that makes it get fixed, not with all deliberate speed, but tomorrow. Right. Uh, if only we could have uh, faith in the federal judiciary at this point. But that's a story for another time. Uh, yeah, and I will name names. Pete Buttigieg, get on it, man. You know, if you if you want to run for higher office someday, then get your ass in gear and do something. Because shockingly, sorry, not so shockingly, uh, Tate Reeves, who is in the running for one of the worst governors and people on the planet, somehow managed to get a water truck full of tenths of thousands of if not hundreds of thousands of gallons of fresh pure drinking water potable water uh shipped to his uh governor's mansion and by the way people in jackson are being told that if you do take a shower keep your mouth closed i mean jesus christ you know the idea that people have to pay for water at all is beyond Can I just jump in and say you, your body has pores all over it yes, and the it mouth does. is not the only entry point for chemicals. I mean, just don't fucking take a shower. I'm not, if anyone's listening to the show, don't bathe in it. Don't shower in it. Go buy some like baby wipes or whatever. I mean, if you can afford those, but if don't. If you can afford them, exactly. I know. It's yeah. ridiculous, right? Yeah. It, it is. It, and the failures to meet this situation with the urgency it deserves. And Dahlia, I, again, not surprisingly, what are like the first words out of Reeves' mouth uh, after the crisis, guess we need to privatize water. Uh, <laughs> Can I jump yeah. in on that? Sure, Brian. Um, I I just um, this will take me a minute to unpack, but I just got back from uh, what could be the future of the United States. It is a future. I hope it is not the future. It Wait, are a, you going to talk about Pakistan? It is a. It, it's a, well. It's Lebanon. It, it, okay. I will, Let's just, I just want to get, well, get to Dolly first on this. Okay. I know it's related, but I just want to stick with this one issue and then we can switch over to Pakistan because you're right. It's all of a piece, but you know, let's just. Well, it's about the privatization of water and electricity is what it's about. It's okay. uh, that future doesn't exist. That future is uh, probably the worst dystopia you can imagine. For two years, the people, I, I didn't know. I had never been. But if you look at Jackson, Mississippi, if you look what we're doing with education in Florida, if you look what we've done in Texas with electricity, if you look at what these Republicans are proposing, their future that they propose looks exactly like the country of Lebanon, where you have privatized water, privatized electricity, only the rich have electricity and water, and the poor are starving and have none. 
And that's what they propose. And there's nothing more dramatic than walking into, I had no clue. They're, they've had no electricity or water for two years. And so to, to exist on a daily basis, you have to buy cisterns of, of plastic that you put on top of your house. There's no electricity. There's, so you have to have, and, and the rich have it. They have you know generators. The poor have nothing. This is what the United States could look like if the Republicans are successful and if Donald Trump specifically is successful with his idea of a civil war. I can tell you after 40 or 50 years of civil war in Lebanon and, and a displacement of public funds, the corruption in government, it directly looks like the United States today. The four richest, four of the 10 richest people in the Middle East are politicians in Lebanon. How frightening is it that the rich and to your point, Mary, what you said earlier about how widespread and how far flung it is, and Danielle, to yours about black and brown communities. I didn't even, you know, I, I grew up being called all kinds of names as, as you know, with a last name of Karim. This is about, it's, it's about more. It's about the rich versus the poor. And they will keep brown people, black people, white people, yellow people, red people, poor for the rich. The, the angriest people that you will find among the Trump people are the poor white people who just want to be more important than black people to keep their ideas of, of segregation alive. And if you look, in, it is. It's money. It's all about money. And at the end of the day, there's nothing more troubling to me than seeing Jackson, Mississippi and Flint, Michigan. And the, we're seeing the very beginnings today of what I saw in Lebanon. And God, I hope that 40 years from now, my kids and my grandkids are not living in a country that's so dystopian that you cannot get water and electricity. But what you said, Mary, about the, the governor cheering in Jackson, Mississippi, I think it was right. You said that about him cheering. He got fresh water. Well, the rich always get what. No, they, no, no. He wasn't cheering. He did it quite surreptitiously but yeah, nobody but noticed that there, he's, he's like and everyone else he can get yeah it. and he's using all of this as an excuse uh to privatize as you just said um and dolly sorry to put you off again but uh waj uh only has 10 minutes so i want to get to him and uh watch we're talking about uh jackson mississippi we're talking about pakistan and um I mean, I one thing I would say is I don't think that this is where we're headed. I think this is where we are in a lot of places. And it's just a matter of time before um, that so-called dystopia spreads. Um, and, you know, I continue. I, yes, I agree with you, Brian, that money is a factor, but it's also about race. <laughs> it's always about race. And uh, we can get we can talk about you know, poor whites later, but right now let's focus on the fact that in this moment, uh, it's communities of color that are suffering. And, uh, you know, watch one question that we have is like, why doesn't it seem to matter if it's a Democrat or Republican in charge of the federal government? Like, wait, seriously, like what is up with that, that, that Biden and Buttigieg and, and others in the, uh, administration who have power in these matters aren't doing more than just dropping off some bottled water unless i'm missing something 
So uh, <clears throat> I'll give a secret that all people of color know, and we're on our people of color WhatsApp. Uh, Daniel and I uh, can let you know that there's a secret meeting that we have uh, mm -hmm. where we communicate with each other uh, with talking points. People of color in this country, especially black folks, but indigenous folks, and increasingly, hopefully, many South Asians and Asians who are, who are realizing they're not white or will not be accepted as white, realize that white lives matter the most and white lives are prioritized. And you realize no matter how hard you try, you'll never be white. But if you're lucky, you'll get close to whiteness. You'll be like Icarus. You'll be like asymptotic to whiteness. Thank you to my <laughs> geometry teacher for teaching me about asymptotes. And as such, the calculation that I we want make, a diagram. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's the calculation we make in, in elections. Re example, I'm being very honest with you. Uh, what is the candidate who white America will vote for that is less crazy? Who is the candidate that white people will go for who will actually invest in America and invest in, the, in all of us? And so if you're paying attention, it means that we put our concerns second. We police ourselves. We police our rage. And we realize that in order to get things done that help our community, oftentimes we have to prove to America this will also help white people. And you're seeing this with environmental racism. And I'll give you another example. You're talking about Pakistan. My family's in Pakistan. A third of Pakistanis are underwater right now. Even my family in Karachi, which has not been hit by the floods, due to the poor infrastructure, due to the corruption, they're like, there's like, they're standing in water, right? And you're talking about Mississippi. You're talking about Flint. I'll give you another example. People are forgetting that we're still trying to survive an ongoing pandemic, ladies and gentlemen. People have forgotten that COVID is still real. It has killed at least 6 million people. The country that where it's killed the most people is America, where it's 1 million. And that's, these are low numbers. Mm -hmm. Look at the pandemic and look at who it's affected, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, the pandemic has flattened us, as Cuomo said. But it, I would add one other thing. It has flattened us unequally. Yep. And it has exposed America very purely, like an x-ray. Who is affected most? Black and brown folks? Black and brown workers? black and brown communities. Why? Because once you do the x-ray, you're like, oh, they don't have access to healthcare. They don't have access to resources. They don't have access to this infrastructure. They are poor. Oh, and then you saw, just to tie it all up beautifully, if you remember about two and a half years ago, Washington Post did this exquisite piece, and then it was followed up by a study in Lancet, where they're, they talk to people, white folks, and they're like, aren't you concerned about the pandemic? Oh, right now it's affecting other communities, not me. And then you saw Lancet and other uh, medical studies come out and prove, and, and other medical studies come out and prove that in America, white Americans, not all white Americans, we love white people. Daniel and I, some of our best friends are whites. My favorite whites, the moderate white. It's, it's a majority of white folks, when they found out that the pandemic was negatively affecting black and brown folks more than white folks, they didn't, they just didn't care. And so you take all of that with white supremacy, with systemic racism, with an institution that is working exactly as it was designed to be. And then you throw in climate change and you see it completely exposed. And the final thing that I'll say, and Daniel and I talk about this on our show a lot, is when we talk about climate change, climate change is going to make everyone wake up real quick. Because those climate change refugees, ladies and gentlemen, they're going to be a bunch of white folks. And when there's refugees who are white folks knocking on your door saying, hey, our county is underwater, uh, we need refuge, it's going to change the narrative real quick about immigrants, refugees, climate change, national security. And we thought that we had 30, 40 years, right? We've been following this for a while. We thought we had 2050, 2060. 
for those of you who've been following this 2070, nature had something else in mind. It's like, nope, not 2070. <clears throat> it's 2022. And so I hope people take the right lessons from this. And especially with Pakistan, the final thing I'll say is people can easily blame Pakistan, the Horn of Africa. Pakistan and the Horn of Africa are not responsible for climate change, yet they're the ones who are suffering the most. Exactly. So we're all connected. We're all in this together. And this was my plea to those who think that they don't have to care about black and brown folks, the poor folks, the Pakistanis, the Horn of Africa, Europe. You better care because this is at your doorstep. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Waj, you don't look like a middle-aged white woman angry to me, but yes, yes, I'm working on it. Stop giving and I'm working on it on the show. Just right, there's just, determine just our election responses. So well. Mary I'm, and Jen give me tips. They're like, watch, you can up your middle-aged white woman game if you do this, and I, I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, listen, you told us that moderate uh, whites are your favorite people, favorite so you're you're doing a good job of being a an insane middle-aged white person. Um, now, just, <laughs> if you were sitting in a diner. In the mid Midwest, it would be perfect. Um, so anyway, I'm depressed. <laughs> it's like I swear to God, when I, I talk about uh, climate change very rarely because it freaks me out so much. Um, but you know, while you said something uh, that is just adds to the fury, <laughs> um, Pakistan is you know responsible if you want to put those words for like a tiny, tiny percentage of you know the contra in terms of contributing to the climate catastrophe uh yes one percent um i thought yeah one percent or less right and yet countries like pakistan are going to suffer and are suffering inordinately and we are going to see if you'll forgive me say for saying so a situation in the in which there's just as with pakistan and jackson too much water or or not enough water. Uh, you know, we're going to have floods and we're also going to have a lack of potable water, uh, which, again, are things that are happening as we speak. And again, the, the population suffering the most are the populations either getting blamed or getting ignored. Uh, Dean, how much time do you have? How long do you want me to speak for? Half hour? I'm ready to go. Whatever. You no, want. but I because I because because I've been putting Dahlia off because Why Brian are you putting Dahlia off how, because how Brian interrupted. You can't put Dahlia in the corner. Brian Don't shockingly interrupted and Waj uh, doesn't have a lot of time. Brian, um, I'm just kidding. I love you. Um, I, I I can take a joke. Okay. Like that, I covered Trump for four and a half years. If I can't take a joke, I'm done. All right. I've got 70 decades on you there. Uh, <laughs> so, Dahlia, <laughs> since Dean has some time, yeah. um, it's it's one of the things that 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 makes all of this even worse. And Danielle has, has, has talked about this and written about it, is the fact, is, is the contrast between, uh, you know, America as knight in shining armor to white refugees versus America and, you know, the Western alliance uh, as, wait, I'm sorry, you, we don't have room for you. Uh, or we or don't even think about you, uh, people of color who are in crisis, like Syria, for example. Um, so how do we, how do we reframe that? for people uh, to understand the egregiousness of that and and what, if anything, we can do uh, to change the narrative there. Because it's, it's like people just don't, 
even spend enough time or have enough information or uh, bandwidth to, to even even to see how horrific uh, and racist the differences in our responses are. So first of all, um, as a hysterical middle-aged woman, I just want to um, <laughs> thank you for for you know letting me talk, um, and I just want to remind people that hysterical middle-aged women vote. Um, I guess I, I, I want to answer your question, which is the same, I think, as your framing question. I mean, I think Danielle set the table so eloquently about why this happens, right? And why it is that if you are black and brown, you are consistently, consistently uh, at the bottom of the triage pile in every way and that that is deliberate. But the other part of your question is why doesn't the news give a shit? And I think that's the question you just asked me. And I just want to point, I mean, we, and, I, and I'm going to- It's defer, never clear. I, I'm going to defer to Cliff because I think he understands how the news works better than I do. But I just want to draw a line between what Brian said about how in the end of the day, this is all about money because that's the answer to the news question too. And I just yes. want to point people if they haven't read the piece in the Washington Post today about the new owner of Politico, who wants to be quote unquote neutral and unbiased in the same way that CNN wants to be neutral <laughs> and unbiased and who wanted to pray for Donald Trump to win in 2020. So I just think like, let's be really clear that when we talk about consolidation and aggregation and power and money, all of the same problems that Jen laid out about how infrastructures work also absolutely apply to how news media works. And that the same problem we've identified in terms of how we allocate resources is the problem that we can identify in terms of allocating public attention and place in the public sphere to talk about things. And so I just think there is a perfect one-to-one -one correlation, Mary, between the question you asked about what's going on and why, and the question you asked about why the media doesn't care. I think it's, it's perfectly clear that the Venn diagram is a circle. Money. And I think the other thing I just want to say um, is that unfortunately, and this goes also to Danielle's framing, we've talked about this in the context of abortion, but I'll say it again. If you were a woman of color in Mississippi, you never had a right to abortion. Immediately, the Hyde Amendment took you out of the running and then closures of clinics took you out of the running. You had a paper right to an abortion until 2022 when even the paper right was taken away. But women became angry and the news became engaged only when Dobbs comes down in 2022. And much like COVID, as Waj was saying, suddenly it's in my backyard and now it's an issue. So I think part of the problem is the media does just a contemptibly, deplorably bad job of centering things until they are crises for white people. <laughs> and then right. it's a crisis. And so maybe the very last thing I'll say, and I want to hear what Dean has to say about this as well. But I think the very last thing I would say is that the same Jackson, Mississippi that told us in the Dobbs case uh, that they cared about life and cared about children and health and that didn't take the Medicaid expansion and did not broaden the social safety net for mothers and children after Dobbs is now making those forced birth children who are giving birth to other forced birth children have unpotable drinking water. 
So let's really, really look carefully at Mississippi and how they define valuing life. And maybe that's not an answer to your news question, but I think the answer is because as long as it is all flowing upstream to a handful of very wealthy people, they will determine why it's news and when it's news and it's news when it implicates white people. But that is the answer because it, again, it's all connected. And yes, it is about money, but you know, to say that it's, it's about money more than it's about race is, is not, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I think it's always about race uh, and it's also about money. Um, but you know, uh, I, it might have been you, Delia, but a few weeks ago when we were talking in our super panel about uh, the Dobbs decision, the point was made um, that if you're a rich white woman in Jackson, Mississippi, although I guess if you're a rich white woman, you wouldn't be in Jackson, Mississippi, but if you were somewhere in Mississippi where you could have potable water and uh, you had an ectopic pregnancy that required emergency care, you're not getting on a plane. You don't have time to get on a plane. So then what are you going to do? So exactly, you know, that's, that's, that's the issue right there in that, in the term, in, in that context. And uh, Dean, I, you know, in terms of the environmental terrorism we're talking about, I think it's going to take longer, um, at least in a, in a sort of civic context for it to affect rich white people, because they can always insulate themselves as Tate Reeves did by, calling up a water company to park a huge water tank in front of his uh, mansion for his personal, personal, personal drinking uh, habits, I guess. And showers where he could take a shower with his mouth open or whatever. Not that that's a picture I want in anybody's head. I apologize. Yeah, please no. Sorry. The, well, first of all, sorry, I was late. It's just busy the first day after Labor Day and also <laughs> pre-tapes are coming up. I mind you, look, environmental racism, environmental terrorism, if you want to call that, is long with our country. I've had Mustafa Santiago Ali on my show many times. I really recommend him, former EPA person who now is the vice president of the National Wildlife Federation. And he really has elevated that, that whole concept for years. It's been his work to talk about how for years quietly with no press coverage in black communities, they would put the garbage dumps. They would put the waste areas. They would put things that would subject the community to more incidents of asthma, cardiovascular issues. And that's been going on for decades and decades. So, you know, if it's getting pressed now, it's actually on some level, you're like, wow, it's finally getting pressed because it's so mammoth. Mississippi, you can't turn away. Or in Pakistan, where a third of the nation is underwater, you know, 1,300 people died. And it only gets pressed because it's so horrific. You can't look away. And it gets a little press. You know, not like a lot of headlines. I, ha I can't remember the last time I saw Pakistan on the front page. No, it, it's not, except when it was like being demonized at times or as an ally. Which one? <clears throat> Which way, Cliff? I said when we got bin Laden. Was right, right. And to make it more uh, personal, if I could add anything different, being a Palestinian heritage, uh, the struggles of my family go on every single day and it gets no media coverage whatsoever. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter. There's no vacation from the occupation as the Palestinians say, but there's no press coverage. And some are indignity, some are minor issues with checkpoints, some are bigger with, with having, you know, swaths of land taken away or have settlers committing acts of terrorism. Why doesn't it get pressed? Does it get not pressed because it's not of interest? That's part of it. it gets pressed because there are certain people in the media. And I don't mean because of religion. I mean, because they don't care about the story. We don't matter to them. But yeah, that's part of it. When you're the child of someone who's been colonized, like my father, a Palestinian immigrant, was colonized by the British powers, 
because we're inferior, it has an impact on the way you view things. So when I see things in our country where communities of color are marginalized, it's something I understand. And when I and to get angry about it, it's very easy to get angry about it. Brown people don't matter. Black people don't matter. Our lives just don't matter the same. It's been something we've been told from the earliest days. So this is where we are. I'm glad Pakistan's getting some coverage. Climate change is a massive issue. Thankfully, in the Inflation Reduction Act, there's almost $400 billion invested in it. Big thing Mustafa keeps saying, because I keep telling the truth, people hear climate change, they go, how can I do anything? It's so mammoth. We can all contribute to making it better. We've all contributed to making it worse. I mean, through generations, we can contribute and don't give up. Like, you can't have an impact on it. And now America's back in a leadership role because Donald Trump took us out of that. We're back in a leadership role with that investment in President Biden's commitment. So we can have an impact because climate change is not just in Pakistan. It's in Central America where there could be ref environmental refugees coming to our borders looking for water so they don't die of thirst. We're going to see that. It affects our policies beyond just people suffering on television. It's going to impact the United States of America as well. And the bigots are going to just build a bigger wall. All the rest of us are going to be caring and passionate and try to say, why can't we do something to help them? Here's the time to do it now. Well said, my Middle Eastern brother. Thank you, Brian. Lebanese. He's on the axis of uh, good things now. We're on the axis of good stuff, not evil anymore. Yeah, and um, all that is right. And, you know, the next wars are going to be water wars. So <laughs> do, you, do you guys remember the terrible 19, uh, no, maybe it's early 2000s or late 1990s movie Elysium? Elysium. Do you remember? Yes. I, I remember the yeah. title. The rich yeah. people okay. live up in the that sky. Did, yeah, the rich oh, people. Yeah, are oh, yeah. The rich and suddenly very white people were all up in the sky. And Earth has become a fucking trash dumpster, right? Well, that, they they have, that they have left behind. That's exactly that's exactly what this that's exactly what this looks like. We've talked about yes. water worlds, world wars, we've talked about all of these things, and it all comes back to the environment. It all comes back to um, what I talk about on my show all the time, Octavia uh, Butler's Parable of the Sower, which happens because of climate change, a rise in fascism, a rise in authoritarianism. We know how to stop this. We mm -hmm. don't have the will to because it all comes back to money. And because who will be harmed first? We harmed already and don't give a fuck. So right. it doesn't actually matter if you see a third of a country that is underwater and almost close to 50 million people that are displaced, right? Because we can't sell bombs to them and because Putin isn't affecting that situation in Pakistan, so it's not going to be front page news. We could give a damn. And then Australia, like the United States, can pat itself on the back for offering up $2 million. $2 million is what the country of Australia offered to Pakistan. $30 million is what America offered. That's not even a dollar for fucking person that is underwater right now. Well, so I just think that it's just shocking to me. You can't decouple the racism and the Islamophobia and all of it from where we are right now. You no, you, you can't. And as a, as a child of the 70s, I also think of Soylent Green. Um, great movie. Yes, it is, a, it is a great movie if point. you're eight. Very good with I don't know if it... I don't know. <laughs> They don't know if it stands the test of time. No, I, but yeah, you can it on, on a couple of these things. And, you know, as, as Brian pointed out in the chat and wrote an entire book about it that everybody should should read. Uh, we need a commission. <laughs> you know, we don't have local news anymore. Uh, it, we have this this conglomerate based uh, media 
that is is dangerous and six companies you know one one of the things that is inescapable and and, and danielle's a, a, a explanation of you know what environment means uh this came to me it's like this has been happening in this country since since slavery i you know if you talk about the environments in which the enslaved were held uh and and the the generate the immediate and the generational consequences of that and I don't think, Cliff, it's an accident that, you know, we've decided people on the right have decided to stop teaching American history um, as all of these increasingly um, racist uh, policies and failures uh, continue to unfold. Well, we can't have an educated populace now. Come on. They might actually think critically and stupid of me. Vote based upon their needs and understand why of the situations other people are in and, and what that may look like. You know, there, we have a lot of people from various groups on, who can speak to their experience on this show. And I think that's really important. I'm sitting here as, you know, white guy. But, you know, the value, hopefully, maybe I can add on this one. Wait, I'm the, sorry. I thought you were a white woman. Yeah. I'm white womanhood too. I'm, I'm not quite there yet, but I can, as somebody who, who lives in Ohio, here's what I can tell you all, because you were asking a question earlier about media coverage and why don't we know about this? What's going on in Jackson? Why isn't there further coverage? And I would tell you honestly, and, and especially when I believe it was Dolly, I was talking about how, you know, you didn't have a right to an abortion. If you lived in Mississippi, it didn't really matter. You know, I was on the board of Planned Parenthood here for four years and I can't tell you, Mike DeWine is one of the most evil little trollish motherfuckers who hates abortion with the passion, you know, that any of the rest of us hate actual evil things. And and it, the rest of that crazy party. And so we were already there. They were shutting down clinics with all these weird regulations. They're like, well, if you don't have two waiting rooms, you only have one. You got to shut. I mean, every way they could do it, they were doing it. Also, as somebody who. You know, I'm not trying to give you my resume here. I'm just trying to give you what I've seen. You know, I was on the board of the Innocence Project here. And when I saw the treatment of people of color here versus the treatment of people who are white, forget, yeah, you have a right to a lawyer. You know, that lawyer ends up looking something like, in, in terms of their competency, like Rudy Giuliani, you know, uh, and, and it, it, people are thrown into prison and, and don't really have, have any honest rights. So the problem is, is that the Jackson case is so much worse. I mean, I saw that shit that was in that bathtub that somebody put out there. That's not water. That's not water you could even, you're not boiling that. That was no, it's sewage. It's, it's tar, sewage. Or sewage or something. But I, I can't explain to people like the, the, the forever states' rights, local rights. What that just means is let us treat, treat everybody like shit except for the wealthiest people in our area and cut every, every lo- all the resources here. Because in the end, I'm telling you, yes, I'm not trying to let Biden judge anybody off from some responsibility, but most of this stuff is taken care of at the state and local levels. And those of us who've been gerrymandered to fucking hell and, and have, have live in any localities that are, that are controlled by these red, you know, these red fucking assholes, you know, Republicans are, I mean, again, that the, the, the end result is everything's cut, you know, like security cut. You know, water services cut, garbage services cut. I mean, just anything you can possibly imagine. And you see it. And right, I'm lucky enough to be from, you know, a middle to upper middle class family. I'm not even claiming that, like, I'm getting hit the hardest. I will tell you, I see it all around me. And it's sickening if you if you have any care for humanity. Um, you know, and, and so that's that that's the problem here is for what we know is going on in Jackson, what we knew was going on is Flint. 
promise you, none of us have a fucking clue what's going on in Wyoming right now locally or what's going on in pick a state, what's going on in parts of Georgia locally or what's going on in parts of, I mean, I promise you, this, this evil is everywhere. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I, I look forward to the days when, I mean, look, uh, there's a lot to, to um, criticize, rightfully, the Democrats for not doing. I mean, there, there's a lot they, I think, could, could be doing. They're not. I look forward to the days when we have the luxury of criticizing Democrats uh, and holding their feet to the fire. Now we just need to get them elected. And we need to get them elected in numbers uh, that will make it possible for us to force their hand. Uh, now is unfortunately, I mean, we can do that in the context of Jackson, of course. But what I'm, my point is that these are dark times and it literally is, um, you know, a, a very imperfect uh, party that I think believes in the democratic ideal and uh, an evil fascist authoritarian autocratic bunch of thugs <laughs> so there we are uh so uh brian you wanted to add to something that cliff just said uh, and then and then we have a teaser chad has a mighty sense couple of things first with what dean said and cliff said and what you said mary uh to, to your point dean uh nobody knows about pakistan because it doesn't raise the ire and mm -hmm. what i think jen and danielle spoke about as well nobody hears about lebanon it's in its worst crisis since mm -hmm. the 1800s. It's it's basically a feudal territory now where no one is in the 20th century. We don't hear about that because they don't have oil. They don't have they don't make weapons. They're not. Nobody cares in the United States. Those people are suffering. Brown and and and, and black people will suffer. But you won't hear about it because of those reasons that that Cliff and, and everyone has, has talked about. Mary, to your point, that you, the reason why you don't hear about Jackson, you go and look at the worst places in this country that are suffering right now, and I'll guarantee you there's a news desert there. There's either no local coverage or there's no uh, independent gathering of facts and news. That is endemic in the United States where only six countries, can, six companies control 90% of what you see, read, or hear. You have to break up the media monopolies. You have to invest in local uh, journalism. That's where most national news is first heard of. That's how people work together. That's when you discover that, that black people, brown people, and white people have something in common. We all want clean streets, clean roads, clean water, clean electricity. And you don't build those bridges together when all you have is a national media that plays to the left or to the right and claims they play to the middle. Horseshit. You need, you need to bring back, you, you've got to have the rails back on the system. If you don't have a diversity of ownership, as Ben Bad Dickian said from the Washington Post, you will not have a diversity of thought. You need, in, in order to guarantee that all voices are heard, all voices must be heard. So you cannot just rely on the, the you know, and anybody who says that their liberal media or, or conservative media is full of shit, it's money media, and they play to wherever they think they can make the most money, the left or the right. In the day that someone figures out that they can actually make money by doing the news like Walter Cronkite did, you know, real news, then you'll have a million people copying it in a heartbeat. The simple fact of the matter is we're an imitative society that's based in money and there are media, vast media deserts today in every place like in Texas. 
and North Carolina and South Carolina and all those red states where they have no local press. That's where the biggest problems are. Nobody's looking at the city councils or the water boards or the school boards that make the decisions that affect everyone's life on a daily basis. And because we have no reporters there doing it anymore, and look, you don't have to go any further than Montgomery County, Maryland, that used to have two daily newspapers, two weekly newspapers. There's nothing today but the Washington Post and one reporter that barely covers two counties. You can't cover everything that's going on. That is the problem, and if you don't change it, we're screwed, blued, and tattooed. And I'll be the angry white woman on that one. Yeah, I mean, well, although, you know, as, as a panel full of uh, hysterical... <laughs> middle-aged white women i don't know that we could really talk about diversity but um no seriously it, it is an incredibly important point and on those rare occasions we do get a straight news article it's it gets a headline that most people don't read past that completely torpedoes the whole uh, premise of the article uh so i i'm seeing in the chat that that many among us have um have bad feeling <laughs> something bad is going to go down i would argue that something bad has been going down every day since uh i don't know it feels like my entire life but let's let's limit it shall we until november to november 9th 2016 uh so does anybody want to talk about why that might be is there anything uh particularly contributing to that spidey sense of of badness uh, somebody started it jen. okay, okay jen me. own up to it own up to it it was me. I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I don't know. Maybe because last week I was falling, I was lulled into a sense of, um, I don't know, happiness, contentment, sanguinity. Is that Why? how you say it? Because of Dahlia. No. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I just, something, it's, Boom. when I have a spidey sense, it's not like I have intuition or anything. It's just that, you know how, um, it's like you can read a lot of stuff and it doesn't really hit you until it rises. It's kind of in the subconscious level and then it just rises up kind of like you can have dreams about things. and Your dreams aren't really predicting things. They're just reflecting what you're in denial about. And I think I'm kind of in that space. Something doesn't feel something doesn't feel right. And I don't know what it's relating to. Um, in part, we had this bad ruling from the judge that we're not talking about, Judge Cannon. Um, no, we can talk about it because I think that one, I, I think it, people are confused by it. Um, and, you know, there's so many different takes. Um, and, um, you know, if Dahlia weren't such an asshole, we would have gotten to it already. Well, let me, I just <laughs> yeah. something, but, but I mean, before I, we, we switch to that, I want to respond to what folks have been saying about. Um, Wait, hold on. Narrator. Talia is not an asshole. Oh, I'm not going to, I mean, I'm not going to get into that fight. Um, <laughs> well, Dahlia said it. So, um, she so, wrote it. She put it in so writing. Like, I mean, she take put a it screenshot. Right. Take a screenshot. If you want, it's not, it's a symbiotic relationship, right? It's if you want Americans to care about what's going on in Pakistan, you need Harry Styles to spit Ugh. in Pakistan. I mean, um, Chris, somebody. I didn't even know who Pines. I didn't even know who those people were until yesterday. I mean, who Harry Styles was. But the, the point is, you could make. When I was at, when I worked in in the news, when I was in college, I was a features editor, and you can take real news and have a features approach. In other words, it's the medium and it's the message. And if you, if I had my own, you know, if, if I were Anderson Cooper or I had my own show, I would make sure that every single night 
we covered, no matter what, what it was, something internationally. And then I would, I would just say, listen, folks, I'm not doing, you, know, you want my contract? Pay me $5 million less so I can actually cover something real. I mean, how much money is enough for these anchors? These people have more editorial control over their programs than, than they use. And I just wish they would use it because part of it, it's a um, self-fulfilling policy. People don't want to learn about things they don't know anything about, but bring them into the story. It's not just we're saying these things like Pakistan, flood. Is there a, per a person there, someone who is a doctor there, someone who's a child in a school and you keep following that school? Make people familiar, not Pakistan, not, you know, not Jackson. But how about that school teacher in Jackson? How about the mayor of the town? Like make this the same way we humanize any other story. Put people on it. And, you know, again, that's it's a priority. It's a priority. But that's there are inexperienced reporters that are paid because they are cheap. They put all the money in anchors. And so when you, with smaller numbers of companies owning, you know, and, and wanting a healthy bottom line, you have people who have no experience as reporters. There is no way in hell, for God's sake, there should be no reporter in the White House who has no experience, and yet there are dozens. They come straight out of school, no experience, shoved into the White House, and they're supposed to tell you what's going on. They have no clue themselves. They think Pickle Rick behind me is... Yeah, yeah. I mean, the days of Helen Thomas are long behind us, uh, sadly. Um, and Lebanese, Brian, right? Helen Thomas. I love Helen. Helen Thomas was Arab-American. Yes, well, hey, this is what cousin, we do. My cousin do. brought her to the United States. So what? Yeah. So, um, no, 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 not at all. I want to um, hear about the mishpacha. Continue. <laughs> not right now. We claim anyone who's ever had a falafel at this point. If you, hey, you know, <laughs> you've had kibbe, you're Arab. Like We're taking it. You're on our team. If I can be an honorary Jew and you guys can be honorary insane middle-aged white women then <laughs> the sky's the limit well, i have a can i can i say one quick thing though because the sure. bad feeling we've all had this right and mary knows who mary i wish you would charge us like a copay for these sessions because on some of them <laughs> they're like there they are and you're a doctor wait a second this is this is the biggest scam ever you guys are helping me but okay <laughs> no but, i'll charge you for that sure. no but the, the thing is like i think we're all we've gone through so much in the last few years and mary wrote about it in her second book that thank you for mentioning the book things. nobody we, knows existing <laughs> i no, appreciate no, that no but the idea that bad things like we can't we're not entitled to good things anymore is something deeper going on in our society. And, and the overreaction, the judge's opinion sucked. And I wrote about her last week for MS. She should have recused herself. We can talk about that later. But, but I've, the idea when that came down, people over responded, oh, Trump's going to get away with it again. That's not really the decision. It's where we are psychologically, where we go, oh, my God, he's going to get away with it. And Because my, he always has. Right, exactly. So I understand that. But my plea on, to people on Twitter and on my show tonight is going to be, Look, I hope that decision makes you angry to work harder between now and November 8th. We can't control the judge. I can't control DOJ. We couldn't control Robert Mueller. We won. We won because we came out in 2018. We won in 2020 because we yep. came out. So yep. look, I get the frustration, but it's deeper. It is so much deeper because when you think about it, the idea is bad feeling. It's because we've been through such a tough time that it's almost like I don't deserve to be happy. This weird, like there has to be another book for that. But I just want to say a little short thing. I don't want to go on a monologue. No, no, no. I, I, I think um, <laughs> the last thing in the world I feel that I have the uh, 
ability to do right now is is a write a book about why everything's so miserable but um because we're living it we're living the dream um i you know i think part of it and dean i agree with you but part of it is it still was a terrible 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 decision and it it exposed in a new way just how donald has been allowed to rig the system even further in his favor it it demonstrated how broken the federal judiciary is when i read that uh you know if it gets appealed by the doj it's going to the 11th district but you know that's dominated by donald's judge he was there for four fucking years and he's like i don't i don't understand how things things are allowed to happen how one person is either holding the line or one person is destroying everything it was mitch mcconnell yeah of course it wasn't donald it was mitch yeah but it's the yes, but it's it's yeah. it's redounding to Donald's benefit yeah. again, and I think it's it's difficult not to be demoralized because you think, oh God, fine. I mean, how how could anybody get out of this? And here we are again. So uh, it should motivate us, but I, I think it is understandable, Dahlia, <laughs> that we would just for a, uh, a minute or an hour or a day be like, are you fucking kidding me again? So, so maybe I could put it this way because I think again. Wait, you're not going to be positive, are you? No, I'm not going to be positive. And and to be clear, I called myself an asshole in the chat for being positive last week. Um, nobody is calling me an asshole except myself. Um, but I, I think there is actually a through line, in the sense that these are systems problems. I was on Danielle's show talking about you know the judiciary is a systems problem. It is a systems problem. And if you have followed what Federalist Society has done and let Leonard Leo's like secret money and everything that Sheldon Whitehouse puts up on his string board that is actually perfectly true and plausible, nobody cares. Nobody cares about systems the same way nobody cares about you know historic uh, uh, racism and nobody cares. Because it's a long story about a system. And I think that what, what the, the, the problem with the sort of like outcry yesterday on Twitter about Judge Cannon is we all know what the system's problem is. Unless you are willing to say the sentence, add seats to the courts, jurisdiction stripping, you know, doing away with lifetime tenure, unless you can offer ethics. A, a, meaningful, concrete, doable solution to the systems problem, you're just going to feel like shit all the time. And I noticed very few people yesterday with actually, again, always the exception of Ellie saying like, stop bellyaching, pack the courts. And so I think one of the reasons we're so depressed is because we are all under the thumb of a Trump Article Three judiciary probably for the next 50 years. That means our grandchildren and unless we fix that systems problem, going up to the 11th Circuit is the same systems problem. And buying a, by the way, going up to the Supreme Court is the same mm. systems problem. So if we can't sit here and think about how to fix it, we're just stuck. Yeah, and, and honestly, when you said that uh, we're stuck for the next 50 years, it made me, one, it made my skin crawl and the hair on the back of my neck stand up, both, both things at the same time. And it just reminded me how um, we've come, a lot of people have come to accept that that, oh, well, that's just the way it is. Well, you know, the Constitution's the Constitution, the filibuster's the filibuster. No, 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 no. Nothing is set in stone. We are in control of our own destiny and or we need to 
start acting that way because none of these things, none of these things is, is relevant is, is um, what's the word I'm looking for. None of these things works in our society anymore. And in fact, it's, it's preventing us from moving on and moving forward and becoming a country, the kind of country, you know, we all would want to live with, live in, uh, you know, so we need to remember that to Dean's point and just come out in such massive numbers that we can start to unravel all of these horrific uh, obstacles really to um, living, living in a democracy, basically. Uh, so Cliff, we live in one. Well, no, no, we don't. In a semi, and we never have lived in it. this. That's okay. right. It's semi-fascism. I mean, it's difficult. You know, we all use shorthand, right? So the, the America has never been a democracy ever. It's aspirational. So let's get there. But we I cannot just, do that when a guy who was illegitimately in office for four years packs the fucking Supreme Court with three absolutely insane people religious yeah. fanatics who then uh enable it's like you know it's like uh samuel alito uh it's like uh frankenstein's monster on the table getting the uh electricity this is okay samuel alito comes to life as as frankenstein's monster so so we have this absolutely illegitimate supreme court we have this fucked up judiciary we need to double the size of the federal judiciary. We need to increase the size of the Supreme Court until to at least 15, in my view. And we need to implement ethics panels at every level of the federal judiciary, including the Supreme Court. I mean, just the fact that this, this federal uh, society hack was allowed to be handpicked and didn't recuse herself, not that she would because she's a hack, tells you everything you need to know about where we are right now in, in a very, you know, uh, individual example. Sorry, Cliff. I'm, okay. I, you know, yeah, once again, I'm, I'm angry about everything. Well, it's all good. I wanted to add something to that point too, which is that we still have to also, the urgency has gotten more urgent. I've seen more Democrats, more people on the left speak out more urgently. Hell, what Biden's been saying is a hell, hell of a lot better lately. But just on every level of government, we still need to realize what we're up against and we need to use our power. And the reason why I'm saying this right now is you just talked about the federal judiciary and Dahlia did and, and how fucked we are there. But to give you the example, you know, and this is going to affect the federal government, you guys, all of you guys, is even with what we're dealing with here in Ohio, the state Supreme Court, four to three, told these lying fucking sons of bitches that they had to rewrite their bullshit map that was giving Democrats 27% of the seats in a state that votes 47% Democratic. And they kept delaying and delaying. And in the end, they, they, they make the map a little bit better and then a little bit better. So in the end, we, what we should have gained three house, three to four house seats here, we're going to end up gaining one, two, if we're, if we're lucky. And that one or two seats could be the difference. And yes, the Supreme Court doesn't have the power itself, the Ohio one, to draw that map. But they could have thrown, and I'm sorry, I'm just going to, if I offend anybody, they could have thrown every one of those motherfuckers in prison. 
for Wait, contempt of court. You know that swearing is allowed, if not compulsory. I mean, come on. You're going to sit in a fucking cell until you follow the court's order. And you, they did, they did that to what's her name, McDougal, for 18 months, went to prison. But, but why? Why will our Supreme Court here not use the power and say, well, we'd rather just be nice and okay? I guess they're going to delay and not listen to us, so Democrats will get 25 to 50 percent of what they should get, as opposed to 100. If that, if that. Well, the, the map that was drawn will give us one more. Oh, you mean specifically in Ohio? Yes, but that's true. I'm talking right. about here. But yeah, the point yeah. is, is that we deserve everything. You should get. And if that court had thrown their fucking asses in prison, and let me say this, they're white asses because if they weren't white Republicans, I have a feeling they would have been thrown in prison. Then maybe like an angry white woman. There you go. I'm done with my rant. But that's just that okay. it's not just the, the courts that are bad. It's the ones that are good enforcing their rulings and understanding what we're up against here. Yeah. My, I, I don't understand. Like, we know who all of these people are, and they're all bad faith actors upholding a system of injustice that they have been upholding and benefiting from for decades. And we just sit here and we say to ourselves, like, well, that's the law. And yet we have an entire fucking party that is not following the law. And yet we're saying to ourselves that <clears throat> our grandchildren or what have you are going to be, you know, are, are going to be forced to live under to live under this system that has been rigged that they created. And so like the question for me is like when are we all going to decide that like we're actually not going to be abiding by this? That I'm not just going to give you the next 50 fucking years of like of my life because oh the laws say what they are. We know that the laws are racist. We know that they are discriminatory. We know that these people have been put into places that basically based on their resumes they shouldn't even have these jobs. Right. But nobody right. is investigating them. Nobody is having a conversation about that. We all just shrug and just continue to go along about our merry ways. And I just I don't get it. I don't get right. why they get to be outraged about like nonsense. And then we sit around and we follow these bullshit laws that they that they have thrown out. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I, I don't get it. And 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 still be susceptible to. Bye, Dahlia. Thank you. I'll get the antidepressants to you as soon as I can. Um, Although I'm not licensed and I was never uh, able to write prescriptions, but that's a, that's a, beside the point entirely. Nobody um, heard it. Don't but worry. exactly. So, you know, Waj, I guess I want to end here, uh, building on what Danielle just said, and then also be faced with these insane demands that Democrats compromise. That the real problem is that Democrats aren't giving you know, never Trump Republicans any concessions, you know, and I guess that's what the whole ridiculous forward party is about, to which I say, since when is a Republican who's won by even one vote not acted like they had the, a mandate to turn whatever they're in charge of into a closed fascist state? Why the fuck should Democrats compromise with anybody? I mean, Joe Biden won by almost eight million votes. I agree with you. I think it's one of those situations where as we get to 2024 and we see the institutions, as we've talked about, bend the knee again to bad faith Republicans like they always do, like the media institutions. You're seeing a collective. I'm done with this from the, the majority. You see what's happening with CNN. You saw that. I don't know if you guys talked about the report that came out today that the political chief did a prayer Mm -hmm. That Donald Trump would win in 2020, right? Uh, yeah. The right-wing German billionaire. That's that's yeah. the latest news. So anyone who says that the media is liberal, uh, I give you CNN and well, right-wing German billionaires have never been dangerous before. So no, 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 no. They're, 
whatever. They have anxiety. They have anxiety. And so what we've seen is that when the majority gets loud and when the base gets loud and demands more, the Democratic Party listens. And I'll give you an example. Abortion. Remember one of the uh, as we knew for the past, oh, I don't know, 50 years that Republicans were going to do this. And with the leaked opinion where the leaked opinion matches almost identically the actual opinion of Samuel Alito, where they were going to kill abortion. We had a month head start on this. The day that it dropped, if you remember, Democrats were like, well, guess you got to vote. And by the way, here's a fundraising email. And the base said, F this. Then you saw a few leaders <laughs> step up and you, you showed those leaders. Those leaders showed that type of fight and that grit and, and matching the rage of the people. Do you think it's a coincidence that Joe Biden and Democrats have come around? Do you think it's a coincidence that abortion has become a kitchen table issue? Everyone here has talked about it, which means yet again, us crazy folks on this show were right, and the highly paid establishment folks were wrong. We said oh, fight sorry. for democracy. We said fight for democracy and law and order and accountability, according to the poll that came out two weeks ago. What's the number one issue above even the economy? Defending and protecting democracy. And so there is a lesson here that when the majority behaves, and just follow this, follow this thread with me for a second. When the majority behaves like the perpetually aggrieved, bad faith, right-wing actors who play victimhood. But when we match that anger and that frustration and call out the BS for once, the Democratic Party is forced to drop their perpetual caving like Charlie Brown to Lucy to mm -hmm. the white wing, the right wing, and say, oh, we have a base that's not going to tolerate this anymore. And then you see Dark Brandon rising. That's and right. I think that's the type of energy anger and passion that is needed from the base and the majority. Like I've always said, people say, oh, man, I feel so much despair, so much cynicism. What can I do? And I've always said that we have the numbers. We have the numbers. The problem is, is that a flabby, moderate, depressed majority will always get carved like butter if you're going up against a radicalized, zealous minority that wakes up every day with the intention and purpose to fulfill their goals. And so I see this uh, this coalition building and we need to keep building this multicultural coalition. Everyone has to do their part, especially at the local level. And when it comes to local level, I'll end on this one just to give people some hope is this is the example I want to keep using. Republicans are no longer subtle, like a, like a very helpful James Bond villain. In the first 10 minutes of the movie, before the golden women dance nakedly around bullets, uh, they're telling you the plot. Like James Bond doesn't even have to like leave across the world. They're literally telling you what they're about to do. The pre-Saint strategy, the school board strategy. They're so telling you they're taking over the local school boards, local medical boards, poll offices, right? They're telling you this. Well, guess what? We have the numbers. If we show up and when we have showed up locally when it comes to the school boards and, and the polls, we win. And so this is how we win. It, it's, it's long work. It's hard work. Everyone has to get involved, but we have the numbers. And then finally, to, to match and to protest that rage, that rage, it will force Joe Biden and Democrats, the same Joe Biden who have zero words to say about anything after abortion, now is dark Brandon, is because he read the polls and he said, ah, my base is giving me the opening to demand the reforms that are necessary. And, we, and the last thing I'll say is we sit here and we go, you're being so extreme about packing the courts, expanding the courts. That is crazy talk. Codifying Roe, that's crazy talk until it isn't. Until it isn't. That's and the right. more and more this happens, 2022, 2023, ladies and gentlemen, I'm predicting come 2024, if you want to be a Democrat, 
who actually has a chance of winning a national platform, you will talk about ending the filibuster, codifying Roe, expanding the courts and reforming the courts. And that has to be almost like a necessary checklist that you have to fulfill if you get our vote. And I think if we put the pressure, we'll get there within two years. There's historic pre precedence for that, too. The same thing that in 1932 or when FDR came in and, uh, during the Depression. and Wait, Brian, just, I just want to let you know, we need, oh, okay. do need to wrap up soon. So okay, I'll be right. That okay. it, the, the historic references that's happened before the Democratic majority came out in 1932 and adopted many of the things from the Progressive Party from four and 10 and 12 years earlier, because at that point in time, the electorate had become used to the idea and FDR was able to put it through. The Democratic Party has already has always been the more responsive party since the time that the Republican Party fell apart after the Bull Moose Party came in, the progressives with Teddy Roosevelt. That's always been the way of the Democrats. But you're right. Frame the narrative. Get people involved. Vote. Yeah, and look. Us angry white women will be okay. That's right. Uh, read the room. Follow the trends. Uh, I mean, pack the court. The Republicans already have. Hi, Kurt. Perfect timing. We're about to end. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, this is proof that Kurt and I are not the same people. That's Finally, right. we have documented. We've never seen you both in the same room at the same time before. <laughs> uh, but in terms of, and I'll give you a second, uh, Kurt, but I just want to say, you know, uh, the Republicans have already packed the court. Uh, and they are already going to codify uh, the overturning of Roe. So there's that. And as with abortion, 71% of Americans are pro-union now. Capitalize on that capitalize on it we need to fight as hard for democracy as the radical right the well not why do we even say that as the republican party because it's all the Repo it's all republicans right now uh, have been fighting for 50 years to uh to get us to this point right uh so kurt i'm it's good to have you here even though for a brief time we've kind of covered everything from uh ra racial terrorism i'm sorry environmental terrorism and racism to uh, the, the decision, the egregious decision handed down yesterday to um, Democrats have to win or we're screwed. But that's sort of like a theme, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and again, I apologize for being so tardy. I, I just, I had to do the, the, the MSNBC thing at the very last second. Extra uh, points is... for using the word tardy. It's okay. <laughs> um, and the conversation really we were having there is, is, is similar to one that, I, that, that we're having here, which is, um, you know, so much emphasis has been made on this quote unquote tonal shift of Joe Biden um, and, and, and the media acts like it's just some novel thing for, uh, you know, the, the president and, you know, and the leader of the Democratic Party to be talking like this. It's like, have y'all been asleep for like the last yeah. four yes, years? Yes, I think they have. Um, you know, I mean, it really kind of drives me nuts. And the reality is we have a president who rightfully acknowledges that this November is kind of the last stop gag we have yep. in, in, in preventing the decline of democracy. Like that, that's not hyperbole. That's not talking points for Twitter to go viral. Like that, that's just a fact. Republicans aren't even trying to hide it. They're out there actively campaigning on the big lie. You have people that are running to try to administer elections in down-ballot races for Secretary of States who are saying they believe that the last election wasn't legitimate, that they that they would not have certified that election. Uh, you know, it's like it, it doesn't get more straightforward 
than that. And all you have to do is take the Republicans at their word. And I, right. and, and I want everyone to understand that when, when President mm. Biden says terms like MAGA Republicans, while I think you and I and everyone here understands that it's the Republican Party, there are those voters that we need to give permission to mm-hmm. to vote with us, even if it's just this That's one right. time, even if you if you voted for Donald Trump in 16 and even in 20. Yep. But then January 6 happened and you're like, whoa, that that went a little that, that escalated quickly. If you're in that little percentage of people, we need to give you permission to at least this one time switch and come with us. Uh, and I think that's when when President Biden talks about it that way, talk about MAGA Republicans and softening it by saying not all Republicans are like this. That That's who he's talking to. And if we can just get one or two percent of those people to come with us, that's enough. That's enough for us to hold Congress. That's enough for us to stop some of these lunatics from getting in to oversee elections in 2024. Because we look at states like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Ohio, the president, the path to the presidency runs through those states. And oh, Brian has a friend. I know. Look at that. Someone <laughs> loves Brian. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> In case there is any doubt about Brian's character, he's a dog guy. So that, that makes me feel better about him. Um, but and and it, just it to finish my month. thought, uh, it's, mm-hmm. you know, that, that is why the president is talking about it this way. But I am immensely frustrated but not at all surprised at how the media continues to just blow this in terms of how they're covering this it's just yeah it is frustrating because and i agree with you uh, president biden has no choice but to walk that line because it would alienate everybody and uh you know and uh, to be completely uh as generous as possible when i say it i'm i'm only talking to uh uh, talking about republic when I say the entirety of the Republican Party, I'm talking about elected Republicans in Congress yes. because they are to a person, even Liz Cheney. Sorry, she voted for him 93 with him 93 percent of the time. But yes, Biden has to walk that very fine line. And um, I understand that. And I would even say to those people who kind of didn't think that January 6th was a big deal, maybe because they didn't understand, but they're willing to draw the line at espionage and theft of uh, top secret documents, then. Please. We'll take you. We'll Welcome take you. To the we'll, take you. We'll, we'll take all of you. All right. <laughs> We've got to end it there, but uh, Cardo is um, so glad you were able to join us even for a little bit. You're all amazing as usual today. My nerd avengers, Kurt Bardella, Wajali, Brian Karam, uh, Jen Taub, Dean Obadala, Dahlia Lithwick, Cliff Schechter, and Danielle Moody. Thank you and all, and we will see you. <laughs> and Archie. And Archie. See you all next week. Okay. Bye. Woo, thank you for sticking with us. That went a little long, but Brian wouldn't stop talking. <laughs> Just uh, anyway, thank you to all of my Dirt Avengers who showed up today. Uh, it was actually almost all of them, which is which is awesome. And thank you, of course, to all of you for, for staying and for all of your great comments. I appreciate it so much. And uh, just remember, we will be here on Thursday this week. I have what is sure to be an amazing interview with Jason Kander, which I'm, I'm really excited about. And then, of course, uh, next Tuesday, we will be back uh, for our strategy session. Uh, Thursday night, join us at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, youtube.com slash Politicon. 
And uh, the Tuesday show, of course, is also at youtube.com slash Politicon at 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And while you're on Politicon's YouTube page, please subscribe to Politicon. It doesn't cost anything. Like the episode and click on that bell uh, because that way you will be sure to uh, be alerted every time a new episode drops and every time a new video drops. I'm, I'm going to be doing more shorts uh, as the... Wow, the weeks leading up to the midterms uh, unfold. I uh, can't believe it's only nine weeks. That's that's kind of terrifying. But uh, we are all in this together. We are all going to vote, and we are all going to convince everybody we know to vote. Uh, so thank you again, and don't forget, you can listen to the show in podcast cast form at Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And please give us a five-star review because it really does help other people find the show show that is it for today i so appreciate uh all of you and i will see you on thursday at 7 p.m eastern 4 p.m pacific in the meantime please stay safe and be kind